Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Markets show. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle, joined again by Megan Boxall. How are you doing, Megan? Yeah, very well, thanks, John. And Ian Smith, Companies Editor. How are you doing, John? Not too bad. Yeah, the reason I say again is because actually this is the second time we've recorded this podcast. You all may have been expecting it uh, late on Thursday evening. Unfortunately, we had a problem with one of our machines. So here we are having the same conversations yesterday, or are we? Because things have changed again, they as they do in markets. And we're very well prepared for our discussion now. Absolutely. Absolutely. It almost scripted, you might say. <laughs> <laughs> right. So yesterday, uh, we talked about BT and TalkTalk and telcos generally. We talked about consumer credit and uh, the automotive retailers that have had some results this week, amongst other things. And we talked a bit about politics, as we generally do, which is where we started on the Seven Days page. So we talked about the Macron victory. We're not going to talk about it again because actually we decided afterwards that it was a little bit boring. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But actually, the UK election has got a lot more interesting. Now, you know, whichever side of the ideological fence you sit on, the leak of the Labour manifesto has been big news this week. It's not in the Seven Days page, but, but we're here. We're late. So we might as well talk about it. Because, I mean, the big implication is that, you know, essentially lots of proposed renationalisation of, of certain industries, including rail uh, and energy. And of course, some of those businesses are listed on the UK stock market. Yes. So it depends how they try and pursue that nationalisation. But it, it could involve buying a lot of shares in public companies. Absolutely. So I think the, you know, the number being put on, for example, National Grid, because there was talk of uh, nationalising the transmission network, the UK portion of National Grid is worth around 23 billion that's a lot of money it's it's a huge amount of money and as soon as any government um announces that it's going to do that or has announced that in this manifesto and gets elected if you think they are going to have to buy those shares what would you do it would indeed uh would you what you'd buy them yes indeed well luckily i don't need to because i already have them (laughs) (laughs) um obviously huge implications for the shareholders um and also those assets are really important in terms of um you know backing the dividends absolutely but then you know the government government ownership would be great because those profits would essentially those dividends would be flowing into the national coffers so you know these ideas in themselves are not awful. No, and you have to set them in a historical perspective. You know, we came out of the Second World War with a hugely industrialised economy and then what we've had since then is a process of chipping back that and, and privatising certain industries, obviously primarily under Margaret Thatcher. And some people... And we have conversations every week on the podcast where we talk about the levels of competition in some of those industries and whether they are adequately serving uh, consumers, the rail and energy... Um, so this is another contribution to that debate, albeit, yes, on one ideological wing, but it's definitely a live discussion. There's, when it comes to rail, there is some public support there around um, more um, public involvement in the running of the rail network. Um, yeah, so I, it, it, each one, there's different levels of public support. Each one is more, more extreme or less extreme, depending how you look at it. I'm a, con- I'm a commuter. So anything to fix the railways would, in essence, get my votes. But but the reality is fixing the railways is not as easy as buying them up and, and, and whacking them into one great big nationalised entity because we'd been there before and it didn't really work very well then. So, so anyway, a, a very interesting uh, leak. Uh, you, you really can't argue with many of the policies in the, the Labour manifesto. The criticism, of course, is that it would cost an incredible uh, sum of money. Uh, as I put it yesterday, it would be like playing fantasy football without, without a, a budget. And you know, everyone would have the same 10 best players in the league. So it just doesn't really fly in that respect. But there you go. Nice ideas. Um, let's talk about consumer credit. Uh, while, we, while we briefly touched on the subject of consumers there, which is the subject of your taking stock column. Let's, let's talk a, bit, a little bit less about that <laughs> than we did yesterday. But it is an interesting subject, going back to something I, I wrote in an editorial uh, last week or the week before. I can't remember now. Yes, people are 
people are worried about the credit cycle and that uh, consumer credit is worsening. My taking stock looked at particularly Virgin Money that's come under the spotlight for how it accounts for its credit card business, which is a really important part of its customer loan book, um, and also Lloyd's, which is getting more into credit cards and other consumer lending. Yeah, and car loans was something you also mentioned in the piece um, that, that Lloyd's in particular is, has growing exposure to. And, and those car loans, those personal, uh, personal car plans? Personal contract. Personal contract plans. I can't remember. PCPs, aptly named, uh, are underpinning that, the, the, the uh, new car market. And we've seen some really good results from, uh, from car retailers this week, which would uh, suggest that they, they are popular. Yeah, we've had a couple of good half-year results, and then we've just had a quarterly update from Lookers as well. Um, so in the results section this week, we have Vertu Motors and Cambria Automobiles. And they're both showing that actually the new car market has been stronger than some people expected. The results were all well-received, um, but people are expecting that market to stagnate. There's a rise in excise duty that came into effect, I think, at the beginning of April. Um, so some people think that's going to start to slow down. But yeah, the, the background to this is that the regulator, the financial regulator, is looking closely at motor finance and yeah that is a huge industry especially the pcps as you mentioned and there is some disquiet about some of the finance being extended there's also some disquiet about a slowing new car market so it's all adding up to what some people think might be a little bit of a consumer credit crunch yeah i mean it, you know in both cases the results were strong but but they were presented against uh, a kind of backdrop of uh, an uncertain outlook in both instances. You know, the the uh, quotation market uncertainties jumped out at me from the middle of the page there. And I, and I think that's true of, of both. Um, and, and they're preparing, it seems that they're preparing for leaner times ahead, perhaps. Yeah, exactly right. But I suppose the other thing to say is that when you're looking at these companies, new cars is just one part of the business. You need to look at the used cars. Some of them have done well operationally to kind of support margins. So, um, yeah, it did. you do get the feeling that they are bracing for you know a worse new car market. And it's been flagged for some time that that might be coming. Um, so these businesses have been getting ready. Yeah, and the new, the new car segment of their businesses, it's not, you know, it's not completely independent of the after-sales and the, the used car business, you know, new cars become used cars. Exactly and, right. And uh, that affects pricing of, new, of used cars and after sales. You have a bigger car fleet to carpool, you have more after sales. Yeah, exactly right. So, so yeah, one to watch, we, we think. Let's stick with the results section. Um, and there's also mentioned in seven days of, uh, of the telecom sector. Let's stick with the results uh, section for Talk Talk, which was also the subject of our bad week arrow on uh, on seven days page. Megan, what, yeah. uh, what's gone wrong here? Or has it? Um, well, yeah, that's a, that, that's a big question. Um, they had, um, Talk Talk had their results. Um, and yeah, the share price really had a had a shock over day, um, mainly because um, the new CEO, who is actually the founder of Talk Talk, Sir Charles Dunstan, he has decided to sort of re- rewrite the uh, the strategy, which includes cutting the dividend. Obviously, shareholders didn't respond very well to that. But the plan is is to use that money that they were pay- paying out in dividends to sort of make the balance sheet much stronger um, and invest a lot in marketing. Their strategy now is is basically just trying to get the customer numbers up, and in doing that, they are going to be spending a huge amount on a on a big marketing campaign. Yeah, also, there's also a slight shift in the strategy. So uh, looking at this uh, this result, they've lost a lot of a lot of customers in their TV side of the business. Mm. Um, a lot of the, the telecoms industry was going towards what you, you would describe, what you described yesterday, in fact, as quad play. So <laughs> yeah. telecoms became uh, fixed and mobile and broadband and uh, TV and as TV, well. Yeah. TV is not necessarily working out for them. They're going sort of back to basics, it seems, with their yeah, strategy. Yeah, exactly. And that is sort of the, the strategy. It's taking it back to what TalkTalk Talk does best, which is being a low cost it's a budget 
telecoms company um, where its competitors, including BT, um, and you could even throw Sky in there now, it's got a mobile business. Um, they're spending a huge amount on content and that's how they're attracting their customers. Talk Talk just can't do that. And so what it needs to do, and which is why I think it's a really sensible strategy, even though shareholders didn't respond very well, is going back to the, the niche budget area, which is their niche Um yeah, I mean, it's the, di- it's the dividend that would have caused the share price, the, yeah, exactly. the cut of the dividend that would yeah, have caused yeah. the share price drop, not, not necessarily a the bad strategy. reaction to the yeah. strategy. Yeah, and people seem to like Charles Dunstan. He, it, they seem like, it seems like they think he is very sensible and he's he's doing what is going to be good for Talk Talk. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in terms of uh, TV content, there's also been some news uh, from BT around their TV business this week. So they've been spending huge amounts of money yeah, on so, football in particular. Yeah, March was the most recent time they... They um, re, um, reapplied for the Champions League, which they got. Pay- they've just spent so much money on content, particularly sport. Um, but interestingly, this week, their head of TV has decided to leave. Um, she, um, she's she been there for a while and she's sort of overseen the this big investment in the TV part of BT. Um, but what we were talking about yesterday was um, the fact that BT had its results yesterday as well. They're not in the magazine, but um, they um, they came out yesterday, being Thursday. BT are having to spend so much money in OpenReach, their fibre broadband part of the business, which they've been allowed to keep by Ofcom. But Ofcom are going to be putting a lot of pressure, along with all the other providers that rely on OpenReach, they're going to be putting a lot of pressure on BT to spend more money in making OpenReach better. And if that means that they have less money to spend in the TV business... What's going to happen to BT's TV business? I mean, yeah. So, so this isn't necessarily a case of you know the uh, the TV chief's work is done. It's mm. that 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 actually content is becoming difficult to continue yeah. the momentum that, that they've seen behind it. Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, what we talked about yesterday as well is, and I argued that you know actually I don't buy. I have BT, BT broadband. I don't take any of their TV mm. content because I actually buy my TV content from other third party companies like Netflix mm. uh, or uh, Amazon Prime or Now TV, which is Sky. Um, in fact, I get them all, which is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> but they were using that sports content that they were using the open reach cash flows to help pay for in order, as an add-on, to get people um, to pick up their broadband package. So if you became a BT broadband um, uh customer you would then get free sport on um ipad and or, but then they put the price up and then yeah but then they put it. the price up yeah and, so, and so that's that's how the narrative has changed i think yeah so i mean i i, I had the free service and mm. and i don't have the paid service and i know they're pushing it hard because they send me lots of letters mm. but are you more likely to take on their broadband service um and i think many people were because they had that add-on so that was what made it more difficult for talk talk to compete with them mm. as a proper quad play provider yeah. because they had to use open reach open reach is a remaining part of bt then bt could use that um that cash flow to help fund uh, a commercial package that was better than what talk talk could offer that's this has very much been the criticism what, yeah. what I actually want from my telco uh, is a fast, reliable broadband connection yeah, so at a that reasonable price. That, that is it. And that is the main thing that I think is the problem with Talk Talk Today, people want fast broadband. People want to be able to watch BT, BBC iPlayer on the tube. They don't necessarily want cheap um, mobile telecoms, which is what Talk Talk is providing. So I can see that that is one problem with the Talk Talk business model. Yeah, but if it's a good quality, if you know, if Ofcom does indeed put that pressure on yeah. BT to improve uh, open reach access, if they, if Talk Talk is able to invest in, mm. in improving its service and, and and benefits from from the pressure on BT and open reach, then then a cheap, good, reliable, fast broadband service is actually in yeah, itself is just as a, yeah, is what people are looking for yeah. but, but what's the, what's the barrier to entry now for talk talk is that kind of provider is, 
can, well, can it's another the brand, look, isn't it? Is which the is brand. why they're spending money on marketing. Yeah, it's the brand which then costs a lot of. Um, yeah, and they're going to be spending a lot. They've they've said marketing spend is their priority now for the next few months. They're going to be rolling out a big marketing campaign. Yeah, I mean, B- BT's results themselves were a little bit. Uh, yeah, well, they were shocking, but they were, but very, they were expected nice. to be. Yeah, but they've downgraded their their expectations further. They have, yeah. So um, cash flows, it, yeah, it's based on the cash flow, um, which it, it's all sort of financial stuff but the main thing that they've changed is the dividend they're not going to grow the dividend as they had said they were going to which that's what shareholders are going to be looking at and the dividend's important yeah but actually surprisingly bt's share price didn't didn't fall too far yesterday but then it has fallen a long way since the start of the year indeed indeed um okay i mean while while we're on the subject of fast moving share prices Mm -hmm. let's uh let's switch to astrazeneca which we did not talk about yesterday uh because a it was in the tip section and b the news uh that we got today obviously hadn't come out and this is really exciting news although the timing is a little bit problematic for us yeah. given that, that it has come on the day that the, t- the tip has been published yeah so t- timing wise not ideal especially as we've been talking about AstraZeneca for uh, for months but anyway that's not that's not the issue so AstraZeneca um, it is a tip this week um, and we've tipped it based on the strength of its pipeline which we've talked about before um, you know, I've talk, I talk about AstraZeneca more often than I talk about any other company I think because its pipeline is awesome and one of the things that a lot of investors seem to have overlooked is the strength in that pipeline. The share price has had a really tough time. And that's been proven today by the fact that they've got this drug approval, um, yeah, which we didn't know about yesterday. Um, and it's, a, it's a, an immunotherapy. Um, so it's for treating uh, lung cancer. Um, they've had this clinical result um, and uh, it's been really, really good. Um, they've managed to progression-free survival was the uh, was the end point they were looking for so and it's in really late stage lung cancer patients so it was a really it's a really exciting result for a very novel drug this is the mystic trial is it this drug is part of the mystic trial right. so the result we've had today is is just the drug as a monotherapy mystic is the one that everyone's talking about and it is what i talk about a lot in the tip um the combination therapy the combination yeah, so mystic yeah. is trialing this drug that was announced today uh, along with another immunotherapy if they get approval for that it will be the first ever globally combination immunotherapy which would be massive for AstraZeneca um, because it hasn't historically been an oncology player it's been a respiratory company it's really changed tactics in the last few years and it's become this massive oncology company and if it does succeed in getting this combination treatment out it'll be the first company in the world to have done that which would be great for them and the 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 sales that would come from that approval would be huge indeed so so unfortunately we've missed five percent we have although if you'd been listening to us for and, <laughs> and you megan for for some time and in fact on last week's podcast we talked about this as part of the lifestyle feature that we uh ran last week um but we missed five percent mm. but what you're saying is there could be a lot more to come from this yeah absolutely because mystic um which is the big one that everyone's looking for will be out the results will be out within the next few well, weeks, months, we don't know. And they say halfway through 2017. Um, AstraZeneca say that. So, yeah, and if Mystic gets the go-ahead, which it looks like is there's a greater chance of it getting the go-ahead now that half of the trial has achieved good results, um, then, yeah, I think there'll be another big share price boost. And not to mention the earnings, which are going to rocket it once these drugs get launched. Yeah, I mean, I know I know this is very complicated science behind all of this, but you know, is there, are there some companies that are better at getting drugs through trials than others? For any particular reasons, or is it is it kind of is it a kind of lucky game? Really? Well, n- yes, there are, are drugs that are getting uh, are, are, that are better. Merck, which is our international tip of the year, is exceptionally good at getting drugs through its clinical trials because it targets the population of patients 
who they know are going to benefit from the drugs. So, and this is what we talked about last week. I think you accuse them of cheating. But, but I guess what I guess <laughs> what I'm asking, I guess what I'm asking though is, you know, can you read anything into Astra getting approval for one drug into its likely success in future trials? Yeah, you can. Um, that was the case with Circassia, right? But I mean, they were very close, yeah. right? But I mean, it was two allergy yeah. treatments. Well, that was yeah, that was a bit different. That was that they had just a really bad placebo, <laughs> a really good placebo effect, which meant, and it was yeah, the same mistake was repeated in its other trial. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I suppose that does, and actually. You, I think it is an interesting question because AstraZeneca did really badly off the failure of another company which was trialling a very similar drug. So AstraZeneca has proven that it is better than that other company, which is Bristol-Myers Squibb, at getting these drugs through development. Um, so, yeah, if that means that um, th- that is better at, at drugs trials, then, yeah, there is, there's higher chance of, of it passing... Subsequent I think yeah. that's a, the wider question with this kind of company is exactly that. If you are not an expert on pharmaceuticals, can you honestly make a call on um, AstraZeneca being better than another company? But you're yeah. saying you can look at track record when they've done similar treatments and even as a layperson, you can say they progress that drug um, better. Yeah, but that is the problem with AstraZeneca at the moment. I think that's why the share price has been so hammered. It's become a company for specialists mm. where it used to be just a big pharma beast generating a lot of cash. And now GSK is just a toothpaste maker. <laughs> oh. oh, harsh. OK, we're running out of time because we want a very short deadline today after the yesterday's technical glitches. Um, let's talk quickly about uh, housing. Um, we mentioned Barrett in the uh, Seven Days page. The reason I want to mention this is for, for two reasons. One is that, that Barrett's numbers were, were a little bit better than, than perhaps people had thought they were going to be, given that there's some, some, uh, some weakness coming through in the housing market. But two, um, it, it bears relevance to Purple Bricks, which is a long-standing tip of ours, which is somewhat controversial. We've updated that tip today. They're flying. Yes, these companies are doing well for two slightly separate reasons. Barra is continuation of the strong uh, market conditions for house building. Um, and the, the structural support provided by Help to Buy, um, the underlying supply de- demand dynamic. Um, Purple Bricks is a truly disruptive growth model um, that, as you say, we got onto early. And the share price performance has been absolutely stellar. So stellar, in fact, that our, some of our readers um, have asked justifiable questions about whether this is just a momentum play now that has become disconnected from the fundamentals yes but but we kind of we had those uh, uh criticisms almost from the start of covering this company um many felt that it was you know sort of sort of a pie in the sky jam tomorrow.com and it doesn't really look that way it looks like it's gaining traction you know you go down the street you see boards uh sold boards from purple bricks now so you know it looks like a model that has disrupted the estate agency business lower cost uh online online powered and people are people are buying into it yeah and i think that disruptive point is absolutely key because Yes, they had the first mover advantage and grew incredibly quickly in the online space, but the online uh, space is still just a very small part of the overall estate agency sales. So as that um, proportion increases and everyone expects it to, um, then Purple Bricks can just continue to grow hugely, even while just maintaining its market share of the online sales. It's also expanding in Australia and um, and has and is expanding in the US too. So there's a kind of international element to it, um, and basically that fixed fee model. I, we would also question, and we did question yesterday, whether the traditional estate agents can really uh, compete with it on the fixed fee basis because of all the other costs that they have attributed to a, a high street estate. Yeah, and also because just the general willingness of incumbents to eat their own business, as it were, you know, to cannibalise their own sales. Yes, to to say um, we're going to put some effort and time into doing a fixed fee that was going to be much less profitable for us just to try and see off this challenger, let alone the fact that because... 
purple bricks, as you say, you can just walk down the street and see so much of it. They would have to spend a huge amount of marketing um, in order to really dislodge. And they are uh, countrywide as one of their major competitors has already started that um, with uh, with some of its brand, uh, estate agency brands. And you can even see adverts on the tube right now for that. Um, but they would have to spend a huge amount to be able to unseat purple bricks. Mm. I mean, talking of incumbents struggling, uh, we did talk about Pearson for some time yesterday. Uh, I suspect they're going to get away a bit more lightly <laughs> today. Um, Pearson is a company that used to own us, as you well know. It's in the education business. Uh, and its big problem is that it hasn't shifted fast enough from the incumbency of providing school textbooks to the new digital future. And they've updated their strategy again this week in the uh, sarcastic headline there on page nine. Um, but we feel like we've heard it all before. Yeah, I mean, a, a strategic overhaul, and actually Ian pointed this out earlier, some journalists are are suggesting that they may be selling this part that they, or thinking about selling the part of their business that they are looking to change the strategy. It's the US schools division. Um they are just trying to turn it, turn the business more digital. And I mean, oh, what, what are they doing? What, well, uh, what we said yesterday, uh, and what we've said for a long time, is that then actually it just feels like they've come very late to this. They, yeah, exactly. you know, they've, been, they've been caught napping. Yeah, yeah, and there's so many of their competitors. I mean, if you look at Relics, um, which is different, it's a, it, they're targeting different um, different readers. Um, yeah, yeah, Relics is sort of more high higher, higher education. education yeah. yeah, but they they rely so little on their print publishing now. They they are almost all online. And then UBM's cut publishing altogether. It's seen that the market's doing badly, and it's moved into events. Pearson seems to have seen the market's doing badly and moved towards it. it it's. It yeah. seems like a very strange strategy to me. So the shares rose, yeah, they uh, and they're, they're now above our, our sell tip. But yeah. we're, we're kind of sticking to our guns on this one, aren't we? Yeah, I do. Because I, for a start, I don't think the market's good. Um, I think publishing is uh, education. Publishing is a business which is not going to be around for much longer. Print publishing, every you can get everything online and everything much cheaper online. Mm. And you were saying yesterday that. Um, you can get things cheaper which are not made by Pearson as well, textbooks which are not the Pearson brand. And you can make you can get them for cheap prices elsewhere. I mean, the market's not good and Pearson is arriving to that market late as well and it's sold all of its, well, a lot of its quality businesses. So it's the it's the US school's courseware bit that yeah. they're reviewing. So, so textbooks, textbooks, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a funny one. I mean, you know, this, they should be in prime position I, I, because education is obviously a big area of spending and importance mm. in, in Western economies. And uh, yeah, but the, 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 the flip side of that um, is that it's it's massively exposed to political risk. And I think mm. uh, I think it's been caught on the hop with that as well on a, a couple yeah, of occasions. Yeah, it, it really like, has, especially in North America. The North America higher education business has just really struggled for a lot of political reasons and for the fact that people just don't buy textbooks anymore. But Mr Fallon still got his bonus for 2016. I saw you. I saw your tweet fool or whatever you call it. Yeah, I won't annoy the listeners with it, but you can look at my Twitter fool. Twitter fool. That's, the subject. They, that's I think, what they call them. I think it's a case... I'm down with the kids. I think, <laughs> I think it's a case in point of why executive remuneration is just absolutely mad. Uh, yes, which we are talking about in this magazine coming, uh, which we often talk about. Um, okay, that's uh, that's about all we've got time for. We're going to be kicked out by uh, FT Politics in a minute. So, um, and they can actually i'm sure going into more detail about the labor manifesto um anyway uh, lots more in the magazine this week we haven't really touched upon the features uh, philip ryland has written the cover feature lean mean profit machines which is looking at how you use productivity as a measure uh, by which to pick individual shares and it seems to work more efficient companies make better investments uh, we have the private investor diary john rosier's portfolio there's had a good month thanks to uh, a little uh, aim 
traded butcher, uh, of all things. And uh, James Norrington is looking at the moving average, uh, which is a, a measure often used as a, a buying selling signal, and actually whether it's worth doing that at all. Lots of other stuff in the magazine. Set good sector focus from Megan on uh, overseas healthcare, uh, sock screen from Algae, looking at recovery plays, obviously the usual tips and results, more news, more comments, and lots in the personal finance section, which I think they've just talked about. So, which comes first? Who knows? Anyway, thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Megan. Uh, thank, you. thank you, Ian. Lee, Mean Profit Machines, uh, available in all good news agents, £4.90, or get on the website and subscribe. Thank you very much. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.